I speak to you in the name of the one who loves us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, thank you again uh, for your welcome, and I'm delighted to be here. As Jonathan said, uh, the bishop often represents the larger church, the fact that we are a family of churches gathered together, and I bring greetings on behalf of the diocese. Uh, to this parish in this reminder, though I had to laugh when Jonathan talked about sometimes our extended family lives far away, because I actually live right across the park. (laughs) So I'm a couple blocks away, so this is actually my parish church. But I do joke with Jonathan that I am the worst parishioner ever. (laughs) I, I almost never show up. And usually when I do, it's in the back and then I slip away. But um, delighted to be here. Let me just say a few words about myself. You probably know my name is Steve London. Um, I have been a priest for about 19 years. I've been a bishop for a year and five months, so still very much playing the new bishop card. I'm told I can play that card for three years, so I'm excited about that. Um, I am from Texas, but I married a Canadian, and so that is the very clear reason why I am here. Uh, but this is where God has called me. I love Edmonton and love being here. And the most important thing about my ministry is fairly simple. I love Jesus. And I spend all my time trying to help people to know Jesus and to know that they are loved in God and to love God and neighbor. When I was preparing for the sermon, Jonathan, if I understood it correctly, you're doing a series on prayer, how we grow closer to God. And he suggested, why don't you talk about what you do for prayer? And that's pretty easy. I do um, a practice called Lectio Divina. It is my bread and butter. It is my go-to. I'm one of these people, when I, so I came to the Christian faith um, probably about when I was 20 or 21, and I was one of those people um, who had to experiment. All the different ways that Christians have prayed in several different denominations, and for a long time, I would practice this, and then I would find a prayer book that suggested another way of prayer. So I would practice that for a while, and I'd practice that for a while, but I kept coming back to Lectio Divina. In some ways, it's... Um, Like I said, it is my bread and butter. It's not necessarily very exciting, but it is how I connect with God regularly. So I'll just say a little bit about it. I don't know how many of you, are you familiar with the term? Some people? Oh, a lot of people. Great. Yeah, so as you know, it just means divine reading. But if I were to give it a looser translation, a a better translation that doesn't say a whole lot, divine reading, um, and this is messier, but it's truer. Reading scripture in such a way as to hear a word of life for you personally. But that doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well as Lectio Divina. But this word of life, this is so important. So you have to go back in time, third, fourth century Think of northern Africa, Egypt, um, civilization along the Nile River, and people going just slightly on the outskirts, living there, trying to 
escape what they saw as a corrupt civilization and to live a new kind of Christian community on the outskirts. And these people who lived on the outskirts, they had this holiness and this just way of life such that you would hear stories about them. There was a story, for instance, um, written by Athanasius about this man named St. Anthony. And they would read this book and say, oh, I have to go talk to these people. They know something about God. And so they go into the desert and they go to these people and they're called Abbas or Amas. Abbas is the men and Amas are the women. And they would say, give me a word of life. Give me a word of life. So what is this word of life? The Abba and the Amma would give them a word of life. And usually it would be a verse of scripture that was tailor-given, so to speak, cultivated to speak into that person's situation. And the idea is that you would take this verse and you would meditate on it. Now, that word meditate, it's a bit of an odd word. We actually use it differently than the Bible uses it, so we have to make a little bit of a distinction. Often when we use the word meditate, if you find a YouTube video on how to meditate, it's usually about sitting in silence and clearing your mind. Usually what Christians would use the word contemplative. But meditate in the scriptures means to mutter. So, to mutter. And so, in Psalm 1, we find the ideal scripture reader. And it goes something like this. What do these ideal scripture readers look like? Well, Psalm 1 says, Their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water. So the image is that you're like a tree. And by the way, it's no accident that Jesus later will talk about good trees, <laughs> bad trees. But a good tree is one that has its roots deep in the water and sucking up that water to become healthy and flourishing. And the image in Psalm 1 is that we reach into the word of God such that it becomes like water and saturates us body and soul and makes us living and flourish. And so the idea of meditating is to mutter. Now, mutter is not, you know, when you're this crabby person, all oh, these people, I can't believe Jonathan, he does that thing or the other. No, mutter is to kind of keep going over the words again and again such that they go deep within you and they become a word of life. Now, it's so hard to talk about because it's an experience. <laughs> And it's so hard to put words to experience. But maybe it looks something like this. Let's say you're in that fourth century person. You are overwhelmed with life. And you go to the Amma and you say, give me a word of life. And that Amma says to you, okay, this word of life where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And so you take that. You say, well, thank you, Abba, Amadorthea, or whoever, right? We appreciate that. 
And then you take that and you start thinking through it. Um, you read it, okay, I know, yes, Jesus is with me. That's what my faith tells me. But I got to say, Jesus, I don't really feel that. I'm feeling kind of alone and isolated here. But the Amma told me to meditate on this, so I'm going to meditate on it. And so I keep that verse with me, and I just repeat it. And as I go through my day, I, well, what does that mean to be heavy and weary laden? That really does speak to where I am. But Jesus with me, taking my load, carrying that, I don't get it. <clears throat> and so you spend days, maybe weeks, and, and eventually you start saying, what does that mean? And eventually you switch to, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, I need you. And at some point, and this is where my words fail me, perhaps that verse comes alive. It's not words on a page so much now, but it becomes food for the soul. The person knowing, not here, but here, that Jesus is there, walks with them, loves them, but perhaps that verse wasn't enough. It matches with other verses and it matches with stuff going on in their life. And perhaps there's other people walking with them. And in this whole experience of God being with us, that's where that verse becomes a word of life. So that's what Lectio Divina is. Where somehow you enter into the scriptures such that they stop just being words on a page but they become words that bring you a gracious presence of God. And that's the point of Lectio Divina, to read this passage and burrow in, convinced that God has a word of life for us. Because here is the, I will say, frustrating thing about God. God does not speak directly. And usually when people tell you that God speaks to them directly, you don't trust them. <laughs> you say, well, I don't know. <laughs> but God speaks to us indirectly through a multitude of things, right? Your life, the people with you, out in nature, through music, what touches your soul. But it's scripture that gives it a structure. But even structure can be problematic. I won't go into that right now. But it can also be a word of life. Lectio Divina, God speaking to us so that we become more like Christ. So I was trying to think how to work in the gospel reading. <laughs> because I'm one of those people, it's not a sermon unless you talk about the readings for the day. So let me talk about what I came up with. And I imagined as I was praying through what struck me? Now, the problem with somebody like me, I'm a very intellectual person, both a blessing and a difficulty sometimes. I think mostly a blessing. Um, but I can go theological. Like, I hear those words, born again. That's where my mind goes. I start thinking, well, this is how it evolved through Christian history. This is what it means to this denomination. This is what it means to this denomination. And then I get lost and this is where Lectio Divina helps, because it then brings me back, wait, now I'm looking at Nicodemus, not the words born again. Well, why is that? Well, here's the funny thing about this figure, Nicodemus. He's coming at night, 
Presumably, he doesn't want to be seen. And of course, in the Gospel of John, there's all this rich imagery with night and day. And what does it mean to come by night? But even that, I'm not focusing on, I'm focusing on Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. That means he is a member of a Jewish reform movement that emphasizes a high level of learning and the strictest piety. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the governing council of the Jewish people. So that together we know that this Nicodemus coming to Jesus, he is smart, he is educated, he is well-connected, he is pious, he is respected. He has a high-level authority figure. But he's confused. He doesn't know what this Jesus person is talking about. So he goes to Jesus and he asks for some straight answers. And like most people who come to Jesus, he is disappointed because Jesus rarely gives a straight answer. He says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Born again could also mean born from above. There's an ambiguity there. Nicodemus is still confused. What does that mean? Do I have to literally be born again? Jesus doesn't answer the question. But as I'm meditating on this, at the most assumption is that Nicodemus is, or Jesus, sorry, is telling Nicodemus for this. Nicodemus, for all of your learning and piety and wealth and connection and authority, you still don't get it. You still don't get it. You have to go back to the beginning. Become like a child. You have to be born again. And so I'm meditating on this, and I notice some similarities. I hope I don't sound obnoxious here, but I sort of feel I'm kind of smart. <laughs> I'm extremely well-educated. I have a position of power. I'm well-connected now. Do I get it? Well, I don't know if I do or not, but Jesus is inviting me to meditate on that. What is the it? What is the it? That is Lectio Divina. I'll tell you where I landed. <laughs> it took a long time. But I came up with this, um, and, I, and I hesitate to say it because <laughs> Christians, of course, have divided over this it for centuries. The reason we have hundreds of denominations is because different Christians have said to other communities, you don't get the it, <laughs> so we're separating from you. Um, and so it does feel a little rich for me to tell you what the it is, but I'm still going to tell you. <laughs> and it will have a Franciscan flavor to it. Um, because I, yeah, for various reasons. But I think the it is a radical, Jesus-shaped love that goes to the pain and suffering of the world to bring grace, mercy, and hope. It is a radical love that continually moves past the divisions that we build, even to the point of the division between enemies and allies. You shall love even your enemies, for that is who God is. He brings the rain on the just and the wicked alike. It is a love that loves God and loves their neighbor. 
It is a love I struggle to grow into, but it is a vision that inspires me to build communities like this. So that's what I got out of the Nicodemus reading. But let me just tell you quickly how I do it, just for your own interest. I'm, I'm definitely one of these people that feels prayer is a very, very indio, no, idio, idiosyncratic thing. I tried lots of things. I had to find the thing that worked for me. But I use an acronym for those who wish and like those kind of things. Pray, P-R-A-Y. It's pause, read and reflect, ask, and yield. And usually I do it with my evening prayer, because my morning prayer I do with people, and so I don't have time to do Lectio Divina, but in my evening prayer I usually just do it by myself, it's whatever the gospel is, and I pray through that. So pause, briefly pause. What does that mean? It means to create a space where you drive back the busyness. So my life from 9 to 4.30, your life is different, (laughs) but from 9 to 4.30 it is an intense Phone calls, meetings, meeting with people, barely a chance to breathe. And then the staff goes home at 4.30, and I can breathe. (laughs) And so then I go into prayer, and I pause and try to drive back all that stuff that was with me so that I can attend to the scriptures um, with an open heart as best I can. And that takes some work, my friends. (laughs) I am not always successful, but pause. Then read and reflect. Read slowly. Look for something to, I love the word that, I forget her name, Christine, anyway, shimmers. Something usually just stands out to me, either as a question or an image I love. And so I just sit with it and reflect on it and ask questions about it. Sometimes I get out my phone app with my commentaries and I flip through them, and other times I leave it alone. There is no rules around praying. However, I engage with it. After I sit with it and that thing shimmers and it mixes with all the things going on in my life, I then pray about it. What are you speaking to me? What does this say to me? What am I struggling with? What gift and grace are you giving to me? How am I being with you? And in that, something slowly happens. Again, we're talking about an experience. I enter into a contemplative space. And this is hard to describe, but it's where all I can think of is I have this image of an aquarium where the sand is all stirred up, and eventually if you let it, the sand will just go to the bottom and there's a clarity there. And at my best, and it's not always the best, but at my best, everything just clears, and there's a fullness and a richness to the space within and without me. And to me, that's that last one, yield. I just sit there. I don't know how to describe it, but there is a richness and a fullness to it that I know God is there. And in that, I'm reset every day. And by reset, I mean as I deal with my fears, I'll be honest, shames, I don't feel like I do my job very well, my um, angers, my frustrations, I have to reset that every day Know that God, regardless of how well or not well I have done, loves me and accepts me. And in that, I can go to the next day again and make those phone calls I didn't want to make 
Visit those people I didn't want to visit. And again, try to bring love and grace into a difficult world. This is what I think it means at the end of the day. God has a word of life for you. How do you hear it? This is how I hear it. Amen.